Two years ago in 2010, in the small community that we were in, in uh, northern central California up in the foothills, the neighboring community called Angels Camp, there was an autobiographical book, a biography released by Samuel Clements, the pen name Mark Twain. He wrote Huckleberry Finn and he wrote Tom Sawyer. And it was released by the University of Berkeley in California. And the reason why it was released a hundred years after he died, because that was his wishes. Mark Twain requested that his biography that he had written on his life not be released until 100 years. So in April of 2010, in that small gold rush community where he spent a winter and he wrote a number of stories, that book was released. The reason why he did not want it released before then is because he did not want to embarrass his family members or his relatives or his friends who lived at that particular time. So 100 years after he penned his biography, the first, uh, uh, the first of two uh, were released. If we had to write, if we had to write our bi- biography, if we had to pin and we had to tell our story, what would we write? And more, quest- more important question is, what would God say about us? What would God say about us? Saul was rejected by God. The first king of Israel, he was rejected by God because he was self-centered, he was egotistical, he was a bald-faced liar, he did all these things that he was not supposed to do, and finally God had enough of him and said, you're no longer going to be king. In a certain period of time, you're no longer going to be king. In the meantime, Samuel, the prophet, was directed by God to choose and to anoint another king. So he ends up at Jesse's household. He's ready to select a new king there. And according to our text this morning, one son appears after another. One son, then another son, and then another son, and then another son, and the seven oldest sons appear before Samuel the prophet. Then suddenly in the midst of this parade of possible candidates, we find God's Principle of choice. I want you to look at verse 7 with me one more time, if you would, please. God says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Speaking about the older sons. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We've been saying for several weeks now, the heart of the matter is always the heart. The heart of the matter is always the heart. God saw Elab, and he saw Abinab, and he saw Shammah, and he saw all the older sons of Jesse. And God said, that's not the one, and that's not the one, and that's not the one, and that's not the one. And God says, I'm not looking at their outward appearance. I'm not looking at their bronze. I'm not looking at all their muscle. I'm not looking at their military might. I'm not looking at all these external things. I'm not looking at the charisma. I'm focused on the heart. The heart of the matter is always the heart. And God saw all the hearts, the character, you might want to say, the internal qualities of all these older sons. And he says, these are not... Uh, the guys I'm looking for, they don't possess the right characteristics and the right qualities. And often, as we've been saying, that 
You know, when we look at politicians or we look at some sort of political leaders, often it's based on charisma or how wealthy they are or good looks or Albert Einstein brains or whatever it may be. But God always looks at the heart. Now, this is a transitional period. In just a couple of weeks, we'll make progress and we'll continue on. But this is a transitional period after God rejected Saul as king David is just about to be anointed by Samuel as a new king, and it is before David has actually physically met Saul and before he encounters Goliath. And as we make our way through this particular section of Scripture, I want you to look at verse 11 with me. So all the seven older sons appear before Samuel, and then he asks the question of Jesse in verse 11, Samuel does, are these all the sons that you have? And notice Jesse's response, there is still the youngest, but he is tending the sheep. And Samuel responded back to Jesse, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. The question is, are all your children here? Because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was leading Samuel, and God said, no, 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 no. And so he asked the direct question, is there another son? And Jesse responds and says, yes, he's out in the sheepfolds, however. He's out in the fields, and he's tending sheep. And he says, get him for me. And so he went and got him. Now, I'm going to make several observations to this passage of Scripture. Observation number one, godly parents appreciate, appreciate each one of your children impartially. Do not play favorites. Do not play favorites. Jesse never intended to whistle David in from the sheepfolds. And I think the reason why is because he was the baby. If you come from a large family and you're the baby of the family, you're treated just a little bit different. Jesse, some of you are shaking your head up and down. You're treated just a little bit different. Jesse thought of David as a 15, 16, 17-year-old teenager like he was. He's the youngest. He's a baby. He's tending the sheep. The next king of Israel, he had a, he didn't have a single clue. How could he? Because he was the baby. He was the youngest. He didn't have the brawn. He was ruddy and he was a handsome, but he was still a teenager. He wasn't a full-grown man. And so Jesse might want to say treated him with prejudice in a sense. He literally took him for granted. He saw David as nothing more than one of his youngest sons who tended the sheep. Did you know that the Bible is full of dysfunctional parents? The Bible is full of dysfunctional parents who treated their children uh, um, with um, impartiality. Or partiality. Uh, we're talking about Abraham and Sarah. We're talking about Jacob and his wife. You remember um, how they impar- were partial to Joseph and how... Um, he made a special coat of many colors, and how the siblings got so jealous that they threw, Je- uh, they, they, they threw Joseph into a pit and sold him into slavery. We know that there are all kinds of dysfunctional parents out in this world, and there were all kinds of dysfunctional parents in the Bible. We're to treat each of our children 
even the strong-willed and defiant ones, even the strong-willed and defiant ones, because if you have more than one children, you typically, you have one child that's more difficult to raise than all the rest, were to treat each child equally without impartiality. Uh, the Bible says that as parents, we can bless or we can curse and be a blessing and love and nurture each one of them. Now listen, dads and moms, the greatest contribution the greatest contribution that you can make in the lives of your children, aside from introducing them to, to Jesus Christ, is to help see, uh, help them to see their value and their worth. To help them to see their value and worth. And to help them to see that God has a purpose and plan for their life. God has a purpose and God has a plan for their lives. And w- you can claim Jeremiah 29.11 for your children. God has good plans and not evil plans to give you a future and a hope. Now, they need to know over and over because our world, you see, sucks all of the, I use that word because it's a good descriptive word. It sucks all of the self-esteem and worth out of your children. And they need to know over and over again that God loves them. God loves them. And God has, again, a plan for their life. And that's where I think that perhaps Jesse, not intentionally but out of neglect, uh, didn't um, do what he was supposed to do because he has some sort of, you might want to say he's looking at David through a lens. He's just a young teenager, wet behind the ears. Who is he? And yet God saw his heart. Now, do we sit down with our children on a regular basis and try to inculcate into them what God is desirous of them and what um, what unique abilities that they, they have? Now, now, it's not God's plan to make us all kings. It's not God's plans to make us all kings. But if we will help um, dress them in a sense of the eternal and, 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 and give them a sense of value and crown them with self-worth, they can accomplish wonderful things. I was reading in Dr. James Dobson's book a while back, Parenting Isn't for Cowards. Isn't that a good title? Parenting Isn't for Cowards? I was reading in Dr. James Dobson's book a while back, the Christian psychologist who founded Focus on the Family is retired a number of years now. But he said that there was a major study done among Christian parents, a major study done. And nine out of ten, listen to this, nine out of ten Christian parents feel, feel as though they are failures. Isn't that an interesting statistic? Feel as though they are failures. And often the reason why is, is because our grown children make stupid decisions and choices. Not all of them do, but some of them do. If you have a family of five, or a family of four, or even a family of two, most likely one child in that family will make bonehead decisions and dumb choices. They will. And I want to tell you something, and I want to remind you, according to what Dobson was saying, and according to what I've I've understand, I've been around the block a little bit, a little bit, Children do have a free will, and they do have a free choice. And just because you raise them in a Christian home does not mean that they won't make bonehead decisions and choices. And doesn't make doesn't mean because, they again, they have a free will. And I'm reminded of Billy Graham, the great evangelist. Five children in his family, and one of them, the oldest son, according to a book that he wrote and his mother wrote, became a rebel. We're talking about Franklin Graham became a rebel and... He became a prodigal. And he did terrible and awful things 
And his mother and father suffered with it and suffered over him and prayed for him and tried to give it back to God. But when your children are making bullheaded decisions, you feel like terrible parents. But why is it that the four children didn't do that? Because each particular child has a free will. Where do we say that if we do certain things that our child will automatically do certain things? It's not true. That's a fallacy. Train him up in the ways he should go and he will not stray. People take that verse out of context all the time. They have a free will and they have a free choice. So I want to encourage you, despite, despite our misgivings and despite our failures, uh, most of the time the enemy tries to hit us below the belt in this area, that we're not bad parents. And uh, despite our feelings, don't give up on your children that are still at home and don't give up on your grown children. Hang in there with your children. You never know the last chapter is still being written on your kids' lives. Amen? Amen. So, let's go on here. A a few years ago, (coughs) tears came to my eyes when the first miner, do you remember that mining accident that happened down in Chile? Uh, You remember that? 33 miners were hundreds of feet below the ground and they had this terrible mining accident and it took 69 days with hundreds of people working behind the scenes to pull those miners up and they were literally hundreds of feet in the darkness and in the dampness underneath the ground and they did not know if they were going to make it up or not. And on the 69th day, I'll never forget the first miner coming to the top. His name was Florencio Avlos, that first miner. And he was greeted by his wife and he was greeted by his seven-year-old son. And tears came to my eyes because his seven-year-old son rushed past everybody else and ran up to his dad and gave him a big hug and they were crying and they were, they were weeping together. Um, they embraced because they were so overwhelmed. Continue to pour yourself into your kids, even though, and pray for them and release them if they're grown children, but continue to be a part of their lives because you just never know. The last chapter has not been written on them. So don't have prejudice toward your children. Treat them equally. In the history of the, 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 the children of Israel, Often this was the case. These uh, dysfunctional parents, uh, they they were prejudiced and they they didn't uh, treat their children equally. Now, this is a beautiful moment going back to our story. Remember, David's out with the sheep. He doesn't know what's going on back home. He's faithfully watching watching the sheep day after day in the fields. And somebody yells out there, Hey, David, Dad wants you. Dad wants you. Come back to the house. So David, this young shepherd boy, he comes back in and the Lord says to Samuel, look at verses 12 through 13 with me. And then the Lord said, rise, the second part of verse 12, rise and anoint him, he is the one. So notice what Samuel does, verse 13. He took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power and then Samuel then went down to Romney. And you get the picture and you get the scenery here. This young man comes running in and all of a sudden God says to Samuel, he's the one. He takes the horn of oil and he dumps it over symbolically uh, representing the power of the Holy Spirit that would come upon David. And sure enough, God's Spirit came upon him 
in fullness, the Bible says. And this is such a, a, a pivotal point in this particular story. He anoints him, for this is the one God says, and he, and he does this, and then no doubt, no doubt. Context tells us he whispers into David's ear and he says, you will be the next king of Israel. You'll be the next king. And did you hear? The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. Another translation says, from that day forward, David was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now this leads me to observation number two. Observation number two this morning. God's power is given by God. God's power is given by Him through the indwelling Holy Spirit for ministry and service. The Holy Spirit is given for ministry and service. Did you know that in the Old Testament days, the Holy Spirit would come upon individuals, random individuals. But in the New Testament, the Bible says that when you receive Jesus Christ as your, uh, as your Savior, the Spirit of the living God comes inside of each individual, each particular person. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, When the Spirit comes upon you, you will receive my power to be my witnesses. To be my witnesses. And so David was empowered for service. For service. The greatest among you, the Bible says, will be the servant of all. Well, David is anointed with the Holy Spirit. He has intimacy with God. God blesses those natural gifts that David possesses, like servanthood and leadership and his musical talents. He accentuates those and he adds more grace gifts to him. And God took an ordinary shepherd boy with a surrendered heart and he begins to form him and to make something extraordinary out of his life. The Holy Spirit is given for service. Now, after this wonderful event, what did David do? What did David do? I want you to use your imagination this morning. What did David do after he was anointed as the new king of Israel? What did he do? Did he go down to the local department store and buy a fake crown and a robe and say, I'm the new king? Did he go out and buy a chariot, running up and down the streets, declaring, I'm the new king, I'm the new king? Did he go to the local uh, print shop and print up a bunch of business cards, declaring, I'm the king, and hand them out? He didn't do any of these things. This 16, 17, 18-year-old shepherd boy that's been anointed as the new king of Israel, (laughs) that has the indwelling power of God in his life now, what does he do? He goes back out in the sheepfold. He goes back out of the sheep where he watches and protects and takes care of the sheep. The Holy Spirit empowered him for service. And he goes out and serves his father. And he goes back to where nobody knows his name, so to speak, serving the sheep. While David was sensitive enough to understand that he was the next king, as soon as the big moment was over and they turned out the light, so to speak, he humbly went back to the sheep. Again, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Observation number three. Observation number three about this particular passage of Scripture. God's promotions. God's promotions are usually sudden. God's promotions are usually sudden and surprising. 
So be ready and stay humble. Be ready and stay humble. David is um, serving the sheep. He's humble. He's feeding them. He's leading them. He's, he's healing them. He's helping them. And at times you least expect it. Often it comes just like Jesus returned from heaven. The Bible says that Jesus is going to return as a thief in the night and no man knows. And just like that, just at the time that you think you're ready for that new job, but you cannot stand one more day of that, new, that, that old job that you've got, or you want to get married, or you want to go back to school, or you want something to happen in your life, and the Lord says, you just stay ready, and you just continue to be faithful. And in this obscure place, it may be you may feel like it's obscure, but it's not obscure, because God knows about it, and the Lord knows what He's doing, and the Lord is helping you and enabling you where you're at. You're blossoming where you're planted. Did you hear that? You're blossoming where you're planted. You're staying sensitive of God. You want to serve the Lord. You want to do the things He wants you to do. You're staying in the center of God's will. And all of a sudden, watch out. Watch what happens. It is often in the obscure places and times that there are things that happen to us, and it's so true. Before entrusting David with the entire nation of Israel, David had to prove himself faithful where, was, where he was at, taking care of those sheep out there in the fields. I'm almost finished. Two years ago, there was a lady that visited our church. She was a friend of uh, a fellow administrator, a fellow educator. And so they invited her to come to church. She came to church and they invited us to go out to lunch as family and she came along and and um, she visited our church off and on a couple of times during that year. She was from Oregon. She was from Eastern Oregon. I never found out exactly where she was from. But she told me this story. I said, tell me a little bit about your background. She said, well, the first, very first thing I want you to know, Pastor Ron, is that uh, my father, my father never completed his high school education. I said, oh, is that right? She goes, yeah, he never completed his high school education. He got married at a very young age, and he and my mother had children, and they had a number of children, and he got a, he got a job as a janitor in a local lumber mill. And he worked as a janitor for a number of years. My father was a committed Christian man, and he kept praying, Lord, you know I've got a lot of kids, and you know I've got a lot of needs here, financial needs and otherwise, and we're barely making ends meet. He he had an opportunity to become a salesman, sell some lumber products, and he became a salesman. After a few years, he became the regional sales manager for this lumber company. And then, after a number of years in that position, he became part of the administration in that large network of uh, lumber companies. And then he became the vice president of that company. And before he retired, he became the president of that lumber company. Not only based here, but 
raced in other states. He said, you would like to have known my father. My father was the most humble, hardworking, and committed Christian man I've ever known. You just never, ever know. The Bible says that God says, be faithful. Be faithful in those places that he's called us to. Blossom. You just never know when you might get that promotion, that new job, that other opportunity, that door. Or you just never know the impact you might make where you're at. Let's pray together.